Well, welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Now, today, I've got a special guest, uh, Professor Judith Smith, and she's just put out uh, a new book, and it's called Difficult Mothering, Challenging Adult Children Through Conflict and Change. Welcome to the program, Judith. Thank you. Now, um, I think we've got to say a little bit about yourself, that you're a leader in gerontological research, focusing on women's experiences as they age. You're a senior clinical social worker. You're a therapist and you're a professor at Fordham University in New York. Is that a fair assessment? That's about it. Okay. Um, so look, this book, tell us about the, the, the run up to it, why you thought to do it and roughly what it covers. And then we'll get into a bit more detail. Okay. Well, I am, my background is as a child development researcher. I spent, you know, a good part of my career, both as a, a clinical social worker working individually with people and as a researcher, you know, looking at the first three years of life and how the um, relationship that the young child has with their family and the protections they have in their environment are so critical for later development and for brain development. So this Absolutely. was yep. a central part of my, you know, my interest and my work. Um, and then I got older um, <laughs> and my son got older um, and his friends got older and, as they became young adults, I was, as some of them were having some real problems. Hmm. I was interested, you know, what have my colleagues in the field been writing about uh, mothering in later life and the challenges of our kids as they get older. And I was really shocked to see how little there was. Um, really? really? You, you find a bit of a bear cupboard, did you? Yeah. Uh, you know, which is in some ways as a researcher, it's wonderful to see no one has really looked at this, mm. but I was really taken aback. Uh, I did find finally by Carl Pilmer, who's a human development uh, psychologist, he and his group using a large um, sample size were able to start looking at how adult children's problems of all parents, not just parents whose kids have problems, affect parents' sense of well-being. Right. And that older parents, if their kids are not married, if they dropped out of school, if they're depressed, if they're on drugs, the parents through you know, a very large database expressed much heightened uh, ambivalence and negative feelings about themselves and their adult children if their kids were failing. And does that essentially fill up some of the first chapter of your book, which is entitled, What is a Difficult Adult Child? Well, they gave me some um, data to begin to think about, you know, that there was evidence to show that what goes on with an adult child does affect a parent's well-being. Um, so that was, you know, intellectually, I had a sense of where to begin, but I really started going out to find out what families themselves would tell me. And I was looking specifically at mothers because it was going to be a small study. So I went, we have something called senior centers 
in the United States, you know, where older people, primarily low-income people, can gather. Yeah. Um, and before bingo, I gave a little talk to find out, you know, who was a parent and what issues they had when their kids were three and five and 10 and 20. And then I said, well, what about when they're 40? Mm. And the very, you know, ebullient group that had been talking all the time suddenly got quiet. And a few people said drugs, unemployment. And I said, well, I want to talk to those of you. I'll be in the corner. Mm. And people came up to me and they gave me their names. And, you know, I went all over the city and different boroughs. And I went to unions of retired workers and eventually started collecting people who were wanting to talk to me. And, you know, I didn't know what they were going to tell me. Mm. Um, were, they were, you tell were you surprised? I was definitely surprised. You know, it took me a while you know, first, what they were talking about, also to gain people's trust, yeah. um, I structured the research into two interviews, because for those of you in the audience who have adult children who have serious problems, I think you probably know this is not a topic you want to share with uh, others. Um most parents try to keep hidden if their kids are not doing well, particularly because of what I just talked about, that there's a sense of shame mm. if our kids aren't doing well. Mm. And um, so I asked the people I was talking to, I said, just for, in two sentences, tell me what your kids' problems are. And then we're going to talk about it next time I see you today. Just tell me what kind of baby they were. How was it when they started school? So we uh, developed a, a camaraderie between us uh, that was based on trust and openness. Everybody knew I was a mother. So they felt much more open to tell me their story. So when we got to when the problems began, people were much more able and willing uh, to be open. And I was talking to them as mothers, not as sort of weird people who happen to have kids with problems. <laughs> I think the message, obviously, partly anyway, is that your incremental approach, obviously, was, you know, what was what was necessary. Um, but like many kind of taboo subjects, uh, that, I mean, there are, there are opportunities to shine light on them, and I presume that's what you're trying to do. Absolutely. I mean, I have gotten so many letters from mothers from all across the country, and the book is available in the UK, um, thanking me for beginning to talk about their experiences, which to date, nobody else had talked about. Maybe would it help if I just read a little bit uh, from the book, a very short definition yeah. of Go ahead. what I thought was yeah. a difficult adult yeah. child? Go on. So I write, despite the unique circumstances of the women's lives, I discovered many commonalities in their stories. Nearly all had reopened their homes to their adult child when they had nowhere else to go. Many of the adult children had mental health problems or substance use disorder, or both. None of the parents had expected their own years, later years, to be framed by being once again a parent. Yet for all the many similarities, there were also unique circumstances in each child's life. And that's what lit, led me as a qualitative researcher to describe what I was seeing hmm. and to ultimately settle on the term difficult adult child. I, see. I chose this name to acknowledge not just the challenges faced by the grown children, 
but by the hardships passed along to the mothers who cared for them. Now, when I came up with this name and I started talking to colleagues, some colleagues said, no, 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 you can't call kids difficult. That's judgmental. But what I say in the book is if difficult seems like a harsh label, one that blames, not just identifies, I look to the dictionary to see how difficult is defined. And actually difficult is defined as when something is hard to do or carry out, when something is hard to deal with, manage or overcome, and when something is hard to understand. And basically what I learned from each woman I spoke to and what the book describes, because it's all based on case studies and really telling real mother stories. Mothering adult children is hard to do. That tolerating the tensions in a relationship with a struggling adult child is extremely hard to manage. And understanding the problems that might have caused your child's situations are hard. And knowing how to intervene in today's society can feel impossible. Okay. Can I pick you up on that point? But I'd take it a little bit further because you've yeah. outlined already some of the challenges um, that come with uh, managing a difficult adult child. But on the other hand, I think I'd like you to speak a little bit more about what often is the case, and that's the inherent violence in the situation. Yes. So I guess the other piece that... Uh, prompted me to take on this study was um, the increased interest in our country in elder abuse. Right. And it being identified as a problem that we had to start paying attention to. So when I went out to do these interviews, I didn't know if what mothers were going to talk to me about was being abused. But interestingly, none of the moms ever used the word abuse even though many of them were using elder abuse services, that mothers do not see their adult children as committing elder abuse. They see them as uh, disrespectful, as um, not being um, understanding all that their mother did for them, as being difficult. But nobody said, I'm a victim of elder abuse. Mm -hmm. So... I really think we need to find a new name. And I'm actually suggesting the name difficult adult child. Hmm. And the ways in which violence created, I have a whole chapter on violence in the family, is actually one of the most common perpetrators of elder abuse is an adult child who is living at home and financially dependent on their family and has a mental health or substance use problem. Mm. Um, so these are the people that society is not providing alternative living situations for. They come home, um, they are depressed, they are angry, they are not on medication. Most people with serious mental illness do not see themselves as ill, do not take their medications. And it becomes a really tinderbox for frustrations on both sides. And often um, the mother becomes, you know, it's not generally being abused over and over again, but incidents of violence occur. No, yeah, I understand that. I, I mean, can I just say too, that we, when we were chatting beforehand, before we come, came on the program, I asked you um, about something that um, in my view, 
would sort of help, if you like, defuse situations a bit, and that would be respite care in this particular community. And you were clearly of the opinion that it didn't exist much at all. Um, do you want to sort of say a little bit about it? Because I think we were both in agreement that it would be helpful if it was more provided more. Well, I think certainly having to have your adult child move, everybody I talked to was in their 60s, or at least. <laughs> mm -hmm. so we're talking about 70-year-old moms, 80-year-old moms, who their 40-year-old son has moved back in with his partner at times and the grandkids. And half of my sample were low-income people. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about tiny houses, yeah. lots of people, and lots of people who have problems. Um, so it's unclear who the respite care would be for, uh, for the mom to go someplace uh -huh. and leave her difficult adult child in the house. I'm not sure she'd want to do that. Well, let's but talk about talk about social workers' involvement then, because that would be part of the task for the social worker to try and juggle, and possibly impossibly, you know, I don't know, but effectively try and juggle the needs of all the people who had been affected and were affected, you know, were vulnerable in the situation. Uh, was that your experience think, of social workers' involvement with, with this group? I think it's very hard for social workers. I mean, in terms of because often what happens, a mom will come for help uh, because she feels unsafe in her house because uh, she's worried about her son who has a substance use issue or has a ment untreated mental health issue. And if she tells the uh social worker that the stories reveal that the mom really is in danger. Mm. Social worker may say, listen, I can help get you an order of protection. You know, we can make mm. sure that your son can no longer lives with you because you're telling me that, you know, he has attacked you. You know, we have laws in this country. To, this is not okay. And then the mother does not come back for the next appointment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, and I'm sure because I recognize it, that that's a relatively common occurrence. So the question is, how do you begin to help somebody who's not mm. going to take, you know, the obvious you know, answer is get them out, get them out. That's what so many of these women shared with me, their friends, neighbors, other siblings said, you know, kick them out. You can't be living with, yeah. you know, Adam, who's hurting you. Easier but, said than done. Yes, as a mother. So this is why my book is about difficult mothering mm. and how mothers are not, we are programmed to care for our kids, to be there when a crisis occurs. We are not programmed to say, get out. Well, the second part of your book of three parts is uh, about sort of small steps, you call it. Do, do you want to say just a little bit about that? Right. So, you know, after what I do, the majority of the book is show how this is a common predicament among mothers. Mm -hmm. So women are not weird or crazy who are sitting with their difficult adult children and unable to kick them out. This is, you know, I talk about that it's uh, in the culture that mothers feel responsible for their kids. And especially when there aren't other services. I mean, that's what social work aims to do is to help take some of the burden from families. And we haven't yet done that in terms of severe mental illness and substance use. Um, mm. So that 
First, I establish the problem and help people see that they are not alone in feeling what I, there's a whole chapter called Torn in Two, that women want to not be hurt. They want to have their later years with some peace, uh, but they also are torn because they do not want to hurt their children. So this conflict of whose needs take priority is what so many, everyone I talked to was living with. So after presenting the problem, I then talk about, well, what can we do about this? You know, obviously you can't cure your adult child's mental illness. You can't stop somebody from using drugs or alcohol. Um, this has to be something they do. Um, but what can you do then if you're a mom? And so what I talk about is that what you can begin to do is to take, I use the um, model of stages of change mm -hmm. that was developed and for people uh, who had addiction problems that we know as clinicians, people don't say, I'm going to stop drinking and then boom, they go on a trajectory to, that yeah. this is an extremely hard thing to do. And that the stages of change says the only way you're going to begin to make change is to focus on if you really feel that you are in danger and what's uncomfortable for you. Okay, let me ask you this, because it's the sort of thing that intrigues me. And, and I really appreciate how much you've come across the lack of resources here. Um, in, in many cases, uh, especially with issues of mental health or substance abuse problems, it starts essentially towards the end of childhood, I would suggest. Um, and therefore, remember what you were saying earlier on in your you know, early career, you were, you were looking at maybe the first thousand days of a child's life and how important that was for sort of mapping out the rest of that, that, that childhood. Would the same not apply for mental health services or substance abuse services to get in early intervention much more, much more preventative stuff to actually kind of work instead of letting the, the, chi the child grow into, if you like, the difficult adult that you talk about. I know you can't budget for unemployment, depression, mental health, all the various other things that come with normal adult life, sadly. But if there's chronic issues like early onset mental illness or early onset, if you like, substance abuse, there ought to be more preventative, wouldn't you say? Well, I think the issues that most of the moms who chose to speak to me about were really severe mental illness. Okay. So schizophrenia, bipolar, um, and that usually begins in uh, late teens, early 20s. Yeah, it was, yeah, okay. So I, I think the kind of prevention work that's happening in our country is working uh, somewhere for early signs of early psychosis. But I am not addressing the general malaise that young people have and the, all the many uh, stresses that young people, you know, our teen suicide rate in the U.S. is... Yeah, yeah. Every, everywhere, Judith, to be honest with yeah. you, it's a very high number. Right. But really, I'm, my book focuses on really severe mental illness okay. and substance use disorder, um, not the general, you know, strains of living. So I'm not sure... Um, Money okay. for prevention would necessarily help in this case. That I All think we I was just thinking of early onset anything, but I take your point that it's it's mainly kind of things that develop in adulthood. 
right. But, and but, the people who were in my study assumed that their kids were going to be okay. I mean, there's some moms who sociologists have called perpetual moms that your child is born with severe uh, uh, cognitive impairments and you know they will never be able to live independently. So mm. you know in the first few years of life that your life trajectory is going to be to be a parent until you die. But the people I interviewed did not think that. They thought their kids were going to, and everybody who was in my study, their kids had to have moved out. So that every mom had some period of independence. And the question is, what happens when they come back? Uh -huh. um, because they their mental health issues or their substance use issues get in the way of being able to work, get in the way of being able to have relationships. And who do you come back to? You come back to your family. And um, the strain that families experience when adult children move back in, um, you know, just tiny little things like your adult child eating the food that you planned on eating that night. And then I came up with the idea of boundary violations that, you know, kids just are not respecting your need for sleep. You're not respecting your need for privacy. And also, you know, the worst kind of boundary violation is, you know, hitting your mother or attacking your mother with a knife because of your own inability to control your uh, wishes and frustration. Okay. Um, the, the third part of your book, though, moves on and calls itself helping right. yourself. Could you right. move into that a bit? Okay. So the first thing that I ask people to do is also to do a depression screening for themselves. So oh, I give okay. a DHQ mm -hmm. um, assessment because... If you are clinically depressed, you're not going to be able to have the energy to try to really make changes in your situation with your adult child. So I have in the book screenings for depression and anxiety, which I then recommend people give. It's easy to take. And then you bring it to your doctor because depression is treatable mm -hmm. in adults. And so you need the energy to take this on because it is not easy you know, women have been taught to prioritize their children's needs over their own. We do this, but we think they're going to eventually grow up and then we can focus on ourselves. Yeah. But when your kid is 30 and you are, again, focusing on them. So what I ask after doing the depression screening is to start thinking about what it what is one or two things you would real are really uncomfortable for you now. So this is bringing in the stages of change. So if really what you're most uncomfortable with is the amount of money you're giving your child and the fights that happen around the money so that you focus on that and start thinking about what makes you really uncomfortable about that and then start thinking about how you might begin to alter what you do because we can't change what somebody else does, but we can change what we do. So okay. the kinds of opportunities that I talk about people can do to change their own lives is a critical one is getting social support. Mm -hmm. You know, we're social workers, this is our business, but, you know, from an individual point of view, when reaching out and in this country, we have the National Association of Mental Illness, mm -hmm. um, which is a national organization that offers family to family groups for parents who have adult children with severe mental illness. 
Uh, you probably must have an equivalent, or you may even. No, have there one. are there are plenty, but please carry on. Yeah, uh, we also have Al-Anon, uh, which is part of AA uh, mm -hmm. groups for older parents um, who have substance using adult children. So social support where you can go and talk about um, your situation with your adult child is a huge breathing space uh, because what happens because of this idea that we should be perfect parents, so many people stop talking, you stop telling your family that your kid is driving you crazy, that your kid is stealing your money because you're embarrassed. But social support and starting to go out beyond your family and lifelong friends and finding other people who are in this situation. You know, we know this as social workers, but I rediscovered it writing this book, how essential this is for a parent with a difficult adult child. Hmm. And then I have a whole chapter on self-care, which is not taking a bubble bath. It's really... Um, making some space in your life for yourself, you know, whether it means making one night, a night where you have uh, dinner alone with your partner or with a friend, it is finding some small ways to care for yourself. Mm. And uh, studies have been shown, you know, some people walk or exercise that obviously helps uh, is a kind of self-care, but studies have shown of uh, in these situations, taking a walk with a friend has more benefit than just taking a walk. That self-care is beginning to connect with people and starting to expand your own um, social environment as, an, as a parent, as a person. Mm -hmm. And the other part of uh, change is making sure that you're going to be safe in your home. And this is where social workers can help clients to help them make sure they have safety plans yeah. in place. They know what to do if their child psychosis escalates. Um, there's, you know, we have had so many problems in the United States now with um, mental health problems and the police and police are called and they're frightened of the person with mental illness. And this is how we have so many deaths. Yeah. Um, but part of a social worker's job can be to help prepare uh, parents how to call the police, how to do this in a way where you're in control of the situation and your adult child doesn't take it over. Um, maybe form a relationship with your local precinct so that when you have to call, um, you feel more comfortable. Obviously, racism is a big issue. Uh, and the whole idea of calling the police has so many conflicts with parents because you don't want your child in jail. That's not what you're wanting. Uh, you want them to have mental health treatment. And be, when we don't have sufficient mental health treatment, and as, as you said, it hasn't happened early enough, um, that parents are in a terrible bind. What about the idea of um, medication? Uh, I mean, where does that figure within people's, um, uh, especially mothers' opinions, you know? Because obviously, you know, some people would say, well, if they got enough medication, that would essentially just sort of keep the, the, the difficult adult um, sedated or, you know, much quieter and so forth. And others would say that that's quite a, an attack on the civil liberties as well. It's all well, I think it is the civil liberties and the rights issue has, mm. you know, 
really why we broke down huge uh, asylums for pe- persons with mental illness. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were horrible places, but you know, we were supposed to re- replace those asylums with community mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And that did not happen. That, that is the biggest problem. And I think the trick with, you know, schizophrenia is the person doesn't know, you know, if, if you, this is where early intervention can help is if somebody realizes they have a uh, mental illness and take medication, they're okay. They can live full lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but once they are in uh, agnosi, I never know how to say that I should have it written out how you pronounce it, but there is actually, you know, a disorder where the person with severe mental illness does not know they have it. Mm-hmm. Um so they see no reason to take medication. So it's mm. a real problem. And um, the yeah. last part of cell, of types of change you can take is uh, finding resources for your adult child. Wow, yeah. Mm. With the help, you hope, of social services as well. Right. But the problem is, you know, you can't lead a horse to water. But what mm. you can do as a parent is do your homework, find out what's out there, what's really good. And then you find your moment to be able to uh, suggest this service to your child, you know, when they're, when they themselves are saying, you know, this is, I'm unhappy. No, no, I, I understand that part of it. No, I was really just saying that because when you mentioned earlier that some of the mothers you talked to were particularly elderly and therefore their ability to actually access, say, digital libraries or whatever, or research would be very limited, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure is a problem as well. It's, I mean, they would need assistance in research or support. Right. But And then it's learning to pick your moment of when you bring up the information. And I think the last problem for as women get older, as mothers, um, is what happens when I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do many contingency plans written into their wills or things like that? Or is an awful lot of people, um, you know, pass intestate and therefore have to have the state intervene? Right. You know, so for more people with more resources, uh, you can get a bank to become the fiduciary agent once you're gone, but you can't get and one woman I talked to was just shocked that there was, she said, Judy, there's got to be social workers who want to take this on as a private practice to, you know, be there for my adult child. But mm. nobody wants this private practice. Um, and mm. you can't do it. I mean, the hands-on availability that a parent is willing to give to their kid, nobody's going to do in private practice. Okay. Um, Judith, we're, we're kind of running out of time a little bit, and you've got, I want to give you the last word. Um, everything, well, I think what, what no, I hope... No, no, hold on a second, because everything, yeah. everything I, I want to tell people, that everything you've said and all the details about the book and your research will be on the front page of this text with all the links necessary to follow up everything that you've talked about. And now I'll give you a minute or two to just conclude and give a message out if you wouldn't mind to, to mothers out there um, and people who would benefit from, from reading your work. Well, first, I hope you'll buy the book and I'd love to hear from you. Um, I will also give uh, David my email. Um, I want to, it's very important for me to be in contact with people who 
are have this issue and are reading the book. And I hope you will realize you are not alone. This is a societal problem. We have not yet figured out how to help the most vulnerable uh, adults in our society who have severe mental illness and drug use disorder. Um, and uh, you and all moms like you are being asked to become the default safety net for your kids. And this is really an unfair situation. And I think I met many moms who have become advocates for changes of mental health uh, in our country and using their rage and helplessness to help the next generations. And I think this writing this book has made me an advocate um, that I will use part of my um, work and time to work to help people understand the unfair burden that older parents are having to live with. Okay. Um, so I look forward to hearing from you. And I also hope that people will start, and it's happening already, use the term difficult adult child, because I think it's an easier term than saying my son's schizophrenic or my son's an addict. Uh, that a difficult adult child, there's ways to make the situation less difficult for yourself. And I hope my book will help you to do that. Okay, so again, it's called Difficult, you know, Mothering Challenging Adult Children Through Conflict and Change. It's available um, on Amazon in the UK. We'll, we'll make sure that, that, that that's noted and that people are aware of how they can get a hold of things. But look, for the, for the meantime, Professor Judith Smith, thank you very much indeed for being a guest on the program. Well, thank you so much for having me and I uh, hope we can continue this dialogue and I can hear from your listeners. Okay, thanks.